Aaron, do you I, have the keys, right? Hold on, hold on. I'm looking for him. Just give me a second. You have the keys. Come on, give me the keys. I'm, I'm looking for him. Give me. Hold on. It's just give me a second. I'm looking for him. Where are the goddamn keys? Give me the keys. What keys? You mean these keys? These keys, Fuck you, yeah. Derek. Yeah. <laughs> And that, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening to this podcast, is why you listen to us. I would have listened to Watch You Dare a third time. Best goddamn podcast in my lifetime. And that's our clever intro. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by myself, the coward, Derek, and my movie monster boy co-host, Aaron, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. I suspect we're going to have quite a lot to talk about on this episode. Hell yeah. Uh, as our very, very clever introduction might gave away we are doing get out 2017 jordan peele vehicle modern classic i would say and for this episode we have friend of the show frequent guest kelly welcome back once again uh it is always great to have you on thank y'all thank y'all I'm, I'm very happy to be here i think we're gonna have fun tonight yes aaron what have you been getting into lately uh not much just getting editing done catching up on life and trying to not lose my goddamn mind at work but you know that's a whole other story so yeah we wanted to take a chunk of february to specifically look at a movie from a black director black writer starring black stars what better movie to do than get out like you said it's a modern classic it's one that we've been fucking itching to do kelly's been wanting to come on for a while as well and we had three or four things that we were bouncing around on some of which we're gonna have to wait till summer but that's a teaser for later time <laughs> yeah but yeah we are going to be covering Get Out, but before we jump into that discussion, let's go ahead and do some recommendations real quick. So, Kelly, have you got any horror-related recommendations that you have discovered lately, whether it's movies, TV shows, books, etc.? Weird enough, so I had COVID recently, and I was out of work and doing the whole quarantine, etc., with my my girlfriend. And she's not a horror person at all. She will not watch them. I feel you <laughs> there, man. <laughs> but funny enough, though, it's kind of cool. The one and only horror film that. I did get her to watch. It was literally like in the first month of dating and we were over at her house and I put on Get Out. I swear to God. And that's so funny that Perfect. we're on this for Get Out. But she was like, oh, is this horror? I was like, no, this I was like, it's more psychological thriller. <laughs> it's, a, it's a social thriller. It's elevated, whatever the term is to like not actually call it horror. Yeah. I was like, you a white liberal, huh? You, oh, it's not horror. It's good. You know, it's not horror. <laughs> but no, um, we were watching the whole time these true crime crime documentaries. I've been really getting into documentaries a lot lately. And I guess in, in some ways, I mean, they are pretty horrific. And I know it's not traditional horror in any way, but it's just something that, I, I don't know, we, we just fell into. So it was like one after the other after the other. But I will say there are some movies that have been on my radar that I just haven't had a chance to get to yet, like Lamb. Yep. I don't know if y'all watched Lamb and all, the A24 film. I really, really want to get into Lamb. Other than that, I did see there's this new film, and it literally is a great tie-in to what we're 
we're talking about. I think it's coming out in a couple months on a streaming service, but it's called Master. But it's about two African-American women. They begin to share disturbing experiences at a predominantly white college in New England. It's blowing up right now as far as early circuit and just building momentum and word of mouth. But uh, I think it's coming to streaming soon. So that's on my radar. But haven't watched a lot of traditional horror. I, you know, make y'all laugh for a minute. I feel like the last, you know, month, every night before I go to bed, I put on Return of the Living Dead and just kind of fall asleep to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a, a classic. But uh, no, that's that's about it just a lot of true crime documentaries i joke about this all the time because in-laws basically just leave it on like true tv or whatever the like channel is it's just non-stop forensic stuff but every time that we walk in their house it's constantly just like you know and that's where they found the body eviscerated <laughs> gutted nine feet in a ditch and then it just cuts to some like fat police officer with a buzz cut just going like yeah we found the body it was in a ditch uh covered in semen it, it was missing its hands and uh they were found 10 feet away with uh the eyeballs in the hands and you're just like wait cool so y'all are just casually watching this while you're like you know <laughs> hanging out on your ipads neat honestly though those shows are so easily digestible though oh, yeah whenever like they're on i could just sit there and watch it for hours and just turn my brain off but actually yeah. <laughs> kelly are there any specific true crime documentaries that you enjoyed recently because i'm always on the lookout for some good ones yes there's the one I, I forget the name of it but it's it's basically about this hotel in los angeles and this hotel has this crazy history the chelsea hotel yeah yeah, yeah. yeah is, is that the one with elisa lamb and all the murder that have happened historically and all that yes yes yeah yes. yeah 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 and then the the young woman goes into the elevator yep. and like she disappears yep that's lisa lamb before watching that me and my girlfriend amy we knew nothing about that story and how it blew up so like i'm watching it and i'm like yo this is like intriguing i would say that's out of the four or five that we watched that's probably like top bill yeah that's high i think there's a nice overlap between true crime fans and horror so anytime like i can find a decent true crime documentary. I'm surprised. I I don't think either you or I, Aaron, have recommended too many on any of our past episodes. Not lately, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember we both really dug uh, Mindhunter both seasons of that. And I mean, I know that's not true crime documentary, but as a true crime fiction show. Yeah. Yeah. Mindhunter was great. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, David Fincher was showrunner. He directed it. Yep. Definitely first two episodes, maybe last two of the first season. And then I don't know what he did in second season, but I love, love everything that Fincher does. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that I definitely hope comes back for a third season. But I understand it was a very expensive show with a very yeah. long production. So I get why they're kind of hesitant on doing a third, but I think a third would be welcomed if they did it. Right. Hell yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Derek, what have you got for us this week? So actually, this is a pretty apropos uh, recommendation for the movie we are doing this week with Get Out. I went to the local comic shop and I kind of told them already what I was ordering from the comic shop I still support in the last place we lived in. But I wanted to still support this local comic shop where I am now. And I asked them, like, you know, what are some titles I should pick up or be on my radar that I might not know? about and they asked me like kind of what I'm looking for and I was like I'm pretty good on superhero stuff pretty good on most image drama stuff I'm actually looking for more horror I just got into the silver coin you know I read all of Colin Bunn's stuff what is some good horror if you have anything that's kind of off the beaten path and they're like well it's not quite off the beaten path but they recommended this comic called Anita Hawes Nightmare Blog <laughs> 
Okay. N-I-T-A, and then Haas is H-A-W-E-S, Nightmare Blog. And it's actually a spinoff comic from the ongoing Philadelphia series that uh, Image is putting out. The writer is actually a pretty well-known screenwriter. He's award-winning uh, writer and producer of HBO Showtime, Wu-Tang and American Saga on Hulu. He did Marvel's Runaways for that show that I think lasted maybe one or two seasons. He helped produce and write American Gods. Rodney Barnes is probably most well-known for like his work writing and producing on uh, the Boondocks and Everybody Hates Chris. Um, I believe he was nominated for uh, BET Awards and NAACP Image Award. He's also gotten award nominations for the Writers Guild of America for his work on Everybody Hates Chris as well as the Academy Awards. So he's done a lot of work, but he actually wanted to venture into writing comic books. He said that that's like one of his first loves. So he did a little bit of work for Marvel back in like 2017. He started putting out this comic called Killadelphia for Image Comics. And I haven't read Killadelphia. I know it's multiple issues in. It's all about vampires. That's one that I've gotten. I just haven't started reading it yet. Same. Yeah, like it's definitely been on my radar. I just haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. But the reason why I decided to pick up the Nightmare blog that the comic shop recommended is because it's only on like issue four and my shop had all issues up till then. So I picked it up and I guess the only small downside to it is because it is a spinoff of Philadelphia. there is just a couple references uh, like the main character character Nita herself worked with one of the main characters in Philadelphia, And so I had to just kind of look up a little bit online as I was reading, but it really wasn't anything that big of a deal. It, it still kind of stands on its own. And this first story arc is pretty awesome. It involves a possession of this blues singer who kind of broke out in the 50s and 60s. And he actually broke out with these two white producers who like were pretty sleazy, like had this kind of mentality of signing black artists who who might not know any better and then like kind of swindling them out of all their money after they like (laughs) break fame and live off their fame um, and then throw them to the wayside. So real life constantly. So real life. Yeah, yeah. And so like like, and it actually the comic it's awesome because it jumps back and forth between like what happened and at one point this guy knows what's going on like he kind of actually takes advantage of the producers hires a lawyer and you know he's able to retain his fame and a lot of his fortune but like as the 60s roll on and into the 70s blues music kind of falls off and these guys are trying to fuck him over like out of his deal and he's saying no and while they beat the shit out of him and it's implied that they made a beat the crap out of him left him for dead but then like fast forward to the present there's this demon who is now inhabiting his body and taking his body out think like fight club style tyler durden taking his body out and just murdering the fuck out of people and when i say murdering like this comic does not hold back with how visceral the fucking gore is when the demon manifests it almost comes out of him like a venom symbiote if a venom symbiote was way more demonic and had five thousand mouths and it, like it sure. looks truly <laughs> fucking evil who's the artist for this series uh jason sean alexander who apparently has done some work on spawn um i don't recognize his name right off the bat but glancing over the synopsis for the first issue that's the big credit to his name but yeah our works solid the character works nice the other thing about nita that's neat and this might be one of those things that i might have to go back and read Philadelphia to kind of explain the brother of her ghost is still attached to her and like hasn't moved on to like the next 
plane of existence for whatever reason. It's funny because he kind of almost acts like her like spirit guide in a way, but also just there's a couple scenes where like he'll like, hey, wake up, you got an email finally from the blog. And like we'll wake her up in the middle of the night. Yeah, he's stuck as a ghost and he's kind of stuck to wherever she is. So like it's kind of boring for him. But it, there's also some tragedy involving why he's stuck with her. Part of the reason why I, I was saying that this is pretty relevant to what we're doing this week with Get Out. The main character is black. The person involved with the possession case is also black. There's some interesting things that it says about racial overtones in the country in general between like the 50s and 60s with like when it jumps back and forth between the, the blue singer and the present. But like even then, it's a good horror story. It's a good horror comic. The visuals, like I said, are terrifying, especially anything involving the demon. The kills are grisly. It's well written. Dialogues, top notch. I'm glad my shop recommended this. I really dig it. It's now part of my everyday comic reading. At the time of this recording, I think there are four issues out. I'm not entirely sure if it's a mini series or if it's an ongoing. I think it's an ongoing, but don't quote me on that. It just makes me more interested also in uh, checking out Philadelphia. And I hope Rodney Barnes continues to work in comics because this is pretty damn good comic so far. I like it when people do make that crossover successfully where they're going from one media to another. Speaking of black writers, Taneshi Coates kind of made that same jump into comics. Yeah, to his yeah. Black Panther his is good. Black Panther run is black Panther. fucking phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it's real good. I remember in college, I watched a lot of the Boondocks, and that show is fucking phenomenal. The writing in that show, I can see where Rodney Barnes kind of gets a lot of comic book sensibilities. There were a lot of comic book sensibilities and even anime sensibilities, even just based off the visual style of that show. So it's pretty awesome Like when they, like you said, they make that jump. I'll forever be one of those people that defends like not only video games but comic books as an art form but not only an art form like an art form that's just as serious as any other and I feel like when I read stuff like this and when writers like this come on board for comics it makes me feel a little justified in thinking that as much as I do love superheroes I'm not one of those people that thinks that superheroes end all be all of comics and like stuff like Nita Ha's Nightmare Blog is a perfect example but like yeah it's nice when people like this make the jump and kind of give some validity and legitimacy to the crossover between their screenwriting and comic (laughs) books. Yeah, moving on from that, I'm just going to bring up one more recommendation. I don't know what it is, Aaron, because I know I brought up the Demons soundtrack last time. I know I'm dragging my feet on Chelsea Wolf. Like, I need to get listening to Abyss. I just, I haven't. (laughs) Those drum machines are just in your head, man. But for whatever reason, I decided to listen to the Suspiria soundtrack by Goblin. Hell yeah. You know, let me continue, Autumn. (laughs) <laughs> Anytime I was talking, she was started fussing, and then like when I pay attention to me, Dad. Come on, Dad. <laughs> but yeah, and I'm talking about the original soundtrack from 1977. Fuck, man, this is one of now my favorite soundtracks of any movie ever. It's great. <laughs> it's definitely great. Yeah, it's pretty fucking good. It really, yeah, dude, really. Like this is kind of more what I was wanting out of the Demon soundtrack. Now, granted, again, the title track from Demons with that drum machine is pretty badass. I love that. But holy fuck, the Suspiria soundtrack. I'd only really listened to the track witch which is like a whole bunch of ominous chanting and weird drum beats and shit and it's rad but it was just like I don't know like that's pretty avant-garde but I was like you know what I'll give the soundtrack a chance and I did not expect it to be as prog rock as it is I did not expect it to be as prog electronica synth as it is I didn't expect it to be ethereal and groovy and haunting and creepy all at the fucking same time the whispering is actually pretty fucking effective as far as 
as auditory like horror goes, it makes me want to watch Suspiria now and like see how the soundtrack is implemented in each scene because it goes downright evil to downright dreamlike. It's not like it's bouncing around with no purpose. Dario worked with them on that as well, right? Yeah, I mean, he always kind of collaborated back and forth with Simonetti and the Goblin guys. Yeah. And they kind of crafted what the sound and feel would be. And he kind of did that with pretty much all the soundtracks that he worked with them on. The Goblin one definitely is great. We all had feelings about the remake of Suspiria. But I will say, so Radiohead is my favorite band of all time. I've seen him a few times live. Like, I just fucking love Radiohead. But Tom York, he took a chapter out of Johnny Greenwood's book, you know, because Johnny started working with P.T. Anderson on like tons of films. And now Johnny's ripping it up, but Tom's ripping it up as well. His Suspiria soundtrack is pretty fucking legit. I will say there's bias because I'm a big Tom York fan. I'll admit, I actually haven't listened to the remake soundtrack. I like Radiohead as well. I like Tom York. Honestly, like The Benz is one of my favorite like 90s albums of all time. Oh, yeah. And it's my favorite Radiohead album. So, yeah, I love Tom York. I didn't realize he did the soundtrack to the new Suspiria film. So that makes me want to go listen to it now. And I honestly have heard good things about both the new one soundtrack and the new one has its fans as well. Yeah. Yeah. I very much like both, but they are they could not be more different from each other. So different. Yeah. 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 I am coming at it, though, from someone who hasn't watched either of them and hasn't, up until now, hadn't listened to either soundtrack. From the work I've heard from Goblin, this is probably, I would say, their best work that I've heard. I don't know if you guys think it's their best work, period, but a lot of people online were saying it is. I can see why. Every listen, I'm finding something new. Like, there's, like, hidden vocal cues in the background. It kind of almost reminded me of a little bit of The Shining's soundtrack, where it's just, granted, The Shining soundtrack is much more more just random fucking noises that are creepy as shit. But there's a lot of chanting and there's yeah. a lot of weird atonal stuff. Exactly. And there's a lot of loud echoey bangs. I Yeah, I get you. On top of a groovy or rad as fuck prog rock album. <laughs> yeah. I would say, honestly, my two favorite, because uh, a lot of people point to like the title track, Suspiria, as their favorite song, which it's a damn good song. My favorite thing about prog music is it has, uh, and when I say prog, progressive rock, you know, like Pink Floyd stuff, it has like multiple movements in one song almost. But uh, my two favorite tracks are actually Marcos and Black Forest. Marcos sounds like a synth track that was like way ahead of its time for 1977. And Black Forest, that's probably the most ethereal wave, maybe even shoegazy. And again, like just throughout it, parts of it almost sounds like you're listening to like a haunted music box or like one of those wind up things that plays like a lullaby (laughs) at certain points. 
the soundtrack also has an interesting element of kind of giving away some of the themes of the movie itself because a lot of the whispering in the background is saying shit like witch she's a witch it's actually a witch <laughs> there <laughs> like stuff like that so i'm excited for us to eventually tackle Suspiria. it's inevitable that we will, no, we will not only tackle 1977 but the remake as well so we will get to revisit the soundtrack and i'm excited for that but honestly this soundtrack is now part of my regular listening and i added a few tracks to our uh, spotify playlist so if you shuffle our spotify playlist you may hear that but yeah that's it that's all i got this week how about you aaron uh so i got a couple things real quick and then we'll move on so this is my not quite horror but it still counts recommendation which is i watched the tragedy of macbeth directed by joel cohen starring denzel washington and francis mcdormand was there a reason why uh, joel did this one alone and it wasn't the cohen brothers i don't know specifically i don't know that it's been specifically revealed or talked about why they kind of are not working together right now no idea but you know this is shakespeare obviously and this is very straightforward shakespeare meaning like this is not an alternate take this is not the kurosawa throne of blood oh it's you know macbeth but it's samurai this is not you know oh it's macbeth but it's robots in space you know this is very much straightforward shakespeare but it's shot with that eerie black and white very drier fritz young german expressionist kind of look to it that's really unsettling and then of course Macbeth. it's got fucking witches and murder <laughs> and madness and conspiracies and prophecy and all this other insane shit right do they have a dramatic reading of my favorite line from Macbeth? out damn spot yes francis mcdormand <laughs> definitely has her meltdown scene which is, you know, one of the highlights of that entire play. And yeah, there's lots of good shit in this. The performances are great. Obviously, like, if Shakespeare is not your bag, which I get it, most not people's bag, but it's pretty great. And it has a lot of Cohen sensibilities there. Pretty wild performance from Denzel Washington, especially learning that he, I mean, he has a Shakespeare background. He did lots of Shakespeare on stage. Know that. Okay. He did Coriolanus back in the day with Morgan Freeman. And obviously he was in Much Ado About Nothing back in the 90s. I mean, he has a Shakespeare background, but knowing that he has never performed this play and he has never seen this play performed before going straight cold into this pretty wild the performance that he gives it's great a lot of the other side actors in it are also really solid so yeah i would recommend check that out it is currently streaming on apple's tv plus service which hell if you've bought any apple device in like the last year you probably have it for free and don't realize it so definitely give that a watch and then like last episode i am digging further into severin's woodlands dark and days bewitched box set their full horror compendium and again packaging on that thing is beautiful i remember looking it up when you talked about it on the last episode oh yeah and there's so 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 many good bonus features in this thing too it's wild gotta have those features oh yeah so the next movie is leptirica aka the she butterfly which is a tv movie from 1973 it's just over an hour long directed by 
guy, and I am going to probably butcher this name. I'm going to do my best. George Kedijevic, uh, and that's George with three Ds and like nine Js. So that's the best I can come up with. Uh, but this is a very interesting twist on a vampire story. It's a young guy in a village. He falls for this girl, wants to marry her, her like weird kind of not dad, but kind of somehow her guardian basically tells him to fuck off. And then it's mostly just these idiots in the village. It's just all these old <laughs> drunk morons going back and forth about all this weird superstition. Oh, I heard that if you find a man with a black stallion in a forest, he can lead you to the grave of a vampire and you have to put a stake right through the lid. Otherwise, the butterfly will get out and then it will be free. Like, there's all this weird, weird shit. But there is a vampire that is killing people in the village and they have to also figure that out as well and dot 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 I'm sure you can kind of guess where that's going I'm guessing something is not right with the girl uh, is my guess maybe right yeah <laughs> also too I was reading it was actually considered the first uh, Serbian horror film yes that's interesting jumping off of that we go right to V or I think it's pronounced Fee, V-I-Y, from 1967. This is widely considered to be basically one of the only Soviet-era horror films. This was approved by the fucking state Soviet movie because it's very critical of the church. And as we know, communist Soviet Union very much not down with religion. So because of that, they were like, yeah, sure, you can have all these ghosts and superstitious things and witchcraft and all this stuff in this horror movie that we also patently don't approve of but again because it's critical of the church we're gonna let it slide this was directed by Konstantin Ershov and Georgi Kropachev honestly you're doing better than I am at <laughs> pronouncing these names we basically see like all these monks in training get turned out from their seminary and they just run free through the countryside stealing all the food that they can from all the lo- nearby farms and like grabbing women all off the street and just getting wasted drunk and partying right and one guy kind of ends up stumbling into this old witch and she takes him out to like fly across the countryside in the night and he kind of wakes up the next day and he's like whoa that was weird whatever i must have drank too much then he gets called to a village to oversee the wake of this woman who has died. She's like the daughter of this rich guy in the village and he's paying this priest to come and oversee the wake. And it's the kind of thing where he has to stay there in the church with the dead body overnight and pray over it the entire time. And he has to do it for three nights in a row. And what you find out is, girl is the witch. And so it's interesting because every night the like spooky haunting stuff intensifies and she comes back from the dead and like fucks with him more and more to test his faith and so he's drawn himself into a chalk circle and is praying and pushing back against her evil magics and everything else but the end goes full bananas and there's all kinds of really cool novel special effects little interesting makeup things happening and it's it's just interesting to see this kind of movie come from russia where if you've seen any russian cinema at all chances are it's probably tarkovsky stuff that's very long and slow and plotting and four hours and very philosophical right which all that stuff's great i love 
Tarkovsky, but this is such a tight, fast, again, like just over an hour long kind of thing. And again, like I mentioned in the last episode, these are all on Shutter now. So you can literally just pull all these up, watch them. They're all right there at your fingertips, very easily accessible. That's interesting, like, because these seem like they, for a long time, were probably hard to come by. And now it's just in this box set, and now it's on Shutter. Like, that's cool. The vast majority of the box set is like that. There are some things in the box set that were put out by Severin previously. So V is one of those titles that they've had out for a couple of years now, but Leptirica, definitely not. There's a couple of other ones that I'm very, very anxious to get to in this box set. There's some very cool shit coming down the line that I'll talk about once I get to them. So that's all I have as far as movies are concerned. I also have a comic book I'll bring up real quick, which is Moonshine from Image Comics. I've read uh, some of this. This is written by Brian Azzarello, who's known for 100 Bullets, Joker, Hellblazer, and Wonder Woman. It is drawn by Eduardo Riso. This is Prohibition-era gangsters, bootleggers, moonshiners, voodoo, witch doctors, and werewolves. And it's pretty fucking dope. Yep. So it's following, like, this one main kind of mafia thug who's sent from New York down to West Virginia to negotiate with this bootlegger. He wants to get their moonshine and bring it up to New York to sell. And while he's down there, oops, turns out there is a werewolf lurking around. Obviously, the identity of the werewolf is kind of part of the mystery of what's going on. So I read the first two or three story arcs. There's 28 issues out currently, and I read through... I want to say like 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. In the second arc, he actually ends up getting arrested and gets sent down to New Orleans. So the entire giant second story arc is set in New Orleans, and it's very much a voodoo set story with a lot of the like local New Orleans legendy stuff there. This is now with him having the werewolf curse. Does it have a Rougarou? I, I didn't read well, this far. No, but it definitely kind of touches on that idea because pretty quickly in the story he gets bit and he becomes a werewolf this main guy so there is a lot of that in the second story arc so it's very very cool and it's wild to me too just visually how much the artwork is definitely influenced by Mike Mignola's style the guy who wrote and created Hellboy yeah it really is and I noticed there's so many newer artists that are very much drawing in a similar style It reminds me if you put Tim Sale, who did Batman Long Halloween and Dark Victory, like if you took his art style and Mignola and like put them together, that's exactly what Risso's art style is like. The characters are all slightly exaggerated, and so they're all kind of extra grotesque or extra, uh, what's the word? Like everybody is very heightened, right? They're very caricatured. It's not going for realism. Very, very flat coloring, lots of, you know, stark outlines, lots of shadows. The artwork in it's gorgeous, so I'm I'm very much enjoying that side of it. And the story's been great. Like, I I like a lot of where the story's kind of gone and the characters. And I think, honestly, you know, it would make a great fucking TV show if somebody were to ever pony up the money to do it. Obviously, it would be expensive because it's period. It's all set during the Prohibition and there's a fucking werewolf, right? But 
but it would make for a killer, killer TV show. There's so many characters that are very interesting, and some of the story threads go in very interesting directions, and there's a lot of mystery to it, and there's a lot of open doors to different things that don't necessarily get explored in depth, and it leaves you to kind of fill in some of those blanks. And I very much enjoyed that aspect of it, because you could go into, like, all these different little side paths, and it would be very, very cool to, like, see some of that stuff explored further if you had it in, like, a TV show format. But, yeah, I very much have enjoyed that series so far. Definitely looking forward to, like, like you said, adding that to my regular reading since it is still an ongoing series. So, again, that is Moonshine from writer Brian Azzarello out on Image Comics. I've only read, I think, through the first arc, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, man, one of these days, we're going to get like a comic, a book, or a, a movie that does the Rougarou justice. So anyone listening <laughs> out there who is an artist or a writer of some kind, please make a good Rougarou story. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the main event. So we are talking Jordan Peele's 2017 film, Get Out his directorial debut. This is a movie that we have been kind of itching to do for a while. And I don't know, like one of our dumb rules on the show as far as picking stuff has kind of always been like, give it a couple of years. We don't want to do something as soon as it comes out. We want some time for things to kind of percolate and more information to come out and be able to like listen to interviews and read thoughts and that kind of thing and just sit with a movie for a while before we really talk about it. There's a handful. We've definitely been itching to do this. Frankly, I love us. Like, love, love us. So I'm, I'm wanting to do that one. You know, and there's some other stuff like we haven't done any of Ari Aster's movies, obviously. So we got some new stuff, right? But this was the tip top of that pile that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. We figure, like, this would be a great opportunity to do it. We've got Kelly on, and he's been wanting to jump in and do some Jordan Peele as well. He's mentioned it a few times. This is the perfect example of what we talk about all the time, where this is a horror movie that's got way more on its mind than just scares. This movie has a lot to say about our social systems and race in America and even gender dynamics and family dynamics and tons and tons and tons of stuff. But I think most importantly, this movie is so much about the black experience in America. And it's the kind of thing that for the sake of getting this right and having the conversation the right way, you know, I wanted to have somebody on who could bring, obviously, perspective to that. Derek and I are obviously two white guys. The whitest of white. Yeah, the <laughs> whitest of the white, right? It's one of those things where, yeah, we could get Kelly on, we could get James on, we could get some of our other friends of color on for this. But on the other hand, it's one of those weird things, like, I don't want to just be like, oh, hey, black friend, would you come on and talk about this movie with us? <laughs> this is yeah. one of those movies that I think part of what makes it so interesting is that it is uncomfortable to talk about. And it does kind of get up under your skin a little bit and it makes you think about how you live your life and how you approach people and how you interact with everybody around you and like what your kind of weird preconceived notions and unconscious biases are. Well, and it, it worked out really well because, Kelly, you have been wanting to do this one. But by the way, before we get ahead of ourselves, Aaron, we should do our little like, here is the trailer. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know, 
Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming out this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting family and taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. smoke in front of my daughter. I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. Are you ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. Mine is a terrible thing to waste. Terrible thing to waste. People are getting nervous. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. It's a terrible thing to waste. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, get out. But yeah, like I, I'm definitely excited to talk about this. So all that said, you know, again, this is Jordan Peele's directorial debut. Uh, he, you know, obviously started doing all manner of comedy stuff from improv to stand up. Obviously, the Key and Peele show was like a massive, huge thing on Comedy Central. I remember, I brought up the Key and Peele show a while back as a recommendation because there are a lot of fucked up Key and Peele sketches that have a lot of horrors in them. Yeah, oh, you yeah. could tell like they were like as at least Peele were horror nerds or are horror nerds. Like, there's a lot of references to horror movies. Some of the sketches take a weird, dark turn and make you feel really uncomfortable and creeped out. I can see where he went from Key and Peele to get out i can definitely see that natural progression and i remember too when get out was announced the amount of people that were like wait the guy from key and peel is doing a horror yeah, movie yeah and in my head i was just thinking like nah y'all have no idea there's so much fucked up stuff in key and peel watch that family matter sketch and you'll know exactly like how dark they can get but I had heard interviews with him and just hearing how excited he is talking about movies, but specifically talking about horror. And it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, this guy, we're on the same wavelength. Here we go. This is one of us, you know, Google gobble. We will make you one of us kind of thing. So I was very much excited to see this from that standpoint. And honestly, like I mentioned a second ago, I love us. 
I honestly like Us, I think, more than Get Out. It's not quite as tight of movie, obviously. It's a little bit meandering. It's one of those, I think, the weirdness of that movie clicks with me a lot more. But this movie, Get Out, is just so fucking tight. And obviously, he won an Oscar for this script. But the storytelling here is so perfect. And the direction, like, right out the gate is so perfect. That it's one of those, in the last couple of years, we've all, we've been blessed by having a lot of great horror debuts. But this one, I th- still think, stands out just for the impact that it had. So, alright, I have talked way too fucking much. So, I guess, Kelly, what are your thoughts, just to kind of get some stuff going? I, I think the draw for me is definitely like just being a child of horror. I mean, like I've told y'all the story of my biological father, like sitting me down and just show you his parenting abilities, but to sit me down in front of a TV screen in Detroit, turn on Night of the Living Dead, and then like deuce out, like peace out. Hell yeah. I'm like five, six. I'm literally my son's age, but like grew up. Like that stuff has always been ingrained in me. But uh, I think the greatest thing about Get Out is these misses. I'll just call them misses in the industry. Um, that we on the consumer side, whether we're a person of color or not, you know, we on the consumer side, we know what we fucking want, but studios just always have these misses. And like, there's this thing, you know, this rhetoric that said of like black stories and black films don't sell movie tickets. For me, the biggest thing is it's great when something like this comes along and it blows the fucking roof off the house. Distributed by Universal, of course, produced by Jason Blum and his company, Blum House. And like Jason Blum has this business model where he's like, yo, you know, we'll take a chance, but like we got to recoup, right? So of course, like it's business at the end of the day, but they won't make a film over 5 million at that starter level. So Jordan Peele, this is a directorial debut, made for 4.5 million and it grossed 255 and a half million. Yeah, yeah. Fucking crushed it. <laughs> when you talk about yeah. that, it's like, bruh, like makes you feel good, right? But then also the flip side of that is, is not only is it shattering those confines of like, oh, well, black stories don't fucking sell. We want to, and I'm going to say this as a film buff and as a, a student of cinema as well, no matter how much I love Titanic, but you know, we'd rather go to the movies and watch fucking Leo DiCaprio on a boat for three hours again. But it's like, no man, we're reaching a point where it's like people want to see different stories, but more importantly, there are people out there who have never gotten the chance or or the opportunity to see themselves on the big screen. So yeah. the flip of that would be representation. And like, it's just so cool. Even though, yes, the lead actor is a British actor playing an African-American. First off, he's a hell of a hell of an actor, uh, and I get why Jordan made that creative choice. But like, it's just cool to finally like have representation in the genre that I love more than any other genre, and it be fucking like stellar. You know, be thought provoking. It's not just a a horror film with fluff. Like, it's a a very thought-provoking film. You know, I know y'all probably agree. You know, the greatest thing about this film is no matter what those shorthands or those social circles around us may look like, it stirred up some, some conversation. Like, fuck, you know, had us thinking differently. It's interesting you you say that with thinking differently. Something that Aaron said that has stuck with me, you said it during a recommendation a while back, Aaron. I don't remember which episode it was on, but you were talking about the new Candyman movie. I'd asked you, like, how scary is it? And the thing you said was, for me, is just like a chuckle fuck horror fan, white guy. Like, you know, it wasn't that scary. I just loved it. I thought it was a great movie. But like the thing you said that stuck with me is, but I can't say the same for someone of color who saw this movie. For them, this movie could be way more horrific and way more lasting in that horror sensibility for them. So like, peek behind the curtain, this is my first time ever watching Get Out. 
period. I haven't even seen beyond like the previews when it was first hitting. I haven't even seen scenes from this movie except what I saw in previews. For some reason, I thought you had watched this before. I thought you and your wife nope. like, watched it. Okay. We started our podcast, what, at the end of 2018, I want to say? You know, we had that unwritten rule of we're going to cover horror movies that have been out for at least two or three years. And Get Out was still very much fresh at that point. But like when we were putting together our very first list of movies we wanted to cover, Get Out was one of the movies like instantly. Yeah, done. We're, we're going to do Get Out eventually. We want to let it like age a little bit so we can really kind of talk about how it's been received. But like I'd never watched Get Out before. Part of the reason I did that was the start of our podcast, because once we committed to the fact that we were going to eventually do Get Out, I was like, I want to go in with the freshest eyes possible. There's so many horror movies I've seen like bits and pieces of or caught on like sci-fi growing up and like saw half of and then like now we're returning to it and I'm watching it start to finish. But like the thing that was really sitting with me with Get Out is this movie is creepy, even just from a generic horror standpoint. It's fucking creepy the way Jordan Peele. I, I don't know who did the cinematography on this. I didn't look that up. I apologize. Some of those scenes are like people are like walking in the background or someone's in the window watching him. The sound cues almost do the cliche like sudden sound cue happens as like a false jump scare happens. Again, going back to like him being such a horror nerd, I love his commentary track for the movie because he's constantly just throwing out stuff like, oh yeah, this is my shining shot. This is my Rosemary's Baby <laughs> shot. Yeah, this person setting in the yeah. background is like supposed to be like this. In the first scene with Lakeith Stanfield, that motherfucker throws out like six horror movies that he's like, all of these were like influences on this opening scene. He knows his shit inside and out. <laughs> Was any of it Carpenter? Because I felt like that opening scene had Carpenter. Oh yeah, he like specifically mentioned Christine. He mentioned Halloween. Yeah. He very much is wearing those influences on his sleeve, but not in like the Tarantino way of like, I'm directly just riffing on this one thing. He takes the subtle cues and is like, oh yeah, no, this is what I'm doing here. I'm not calling attention to it though. That's what I appreciate because I could tell these were at least influenced, but they weren't, I want to say Tarantino is obnoxious. He's, I, I don't think, at least his film style, I don't think is. That's what I meant. He's wearing yeah. his influences on his sleeve, but it's not in that, hey, see what I did there? See what I did there? Yeah. You know what this yeah. is? It's not it's that subtle. kind of very obvious thing. But to get back to my last point, from a horror standpoint, it's already a pretty creepy movie. The way people are acting, even just the awkward social situations, that stuff really gets under my skin as someone who has anxiety and social anxiety. All those interactions <laughs> he has at the party and all his interactions with her family oh boy. before like things take that dark turn was kind of skin crawling for me. But then the other thing that struck me and like this gets back to like what I was saying with Aaron, what you were saying, how much more terrifying is this movie for like a black person? I feel like the horror would punch even harder in a way that you or I, Aaron, can't relate to. And like, that's kind of what I kept coming back to. And I think Jordan Peele did such a phenomenal job of not only directing, but writing this movie that it became like a, almost like a universal message. You know, you might not get what I live through on a day to day basis, but here's the best example of what it is and like what it's like to be in this situation for anyone to like to consume that but i don't know like that's kind of what i kept coming back to no that's it i mean that's a great point and i think the thing that i can speak on you know you've, we've all heard that adage of life is stranger than fiction right yeah. and you know yes jordan peele wrote a film but i think what's crazy is to use it in this way it's like oh how much of horror would it be to a you know a person of color the thing that really hits is, to me, I don't think of it as horror. Some of that shit, like real talk, is, is just reality. Yeah. And it, and it fucking sucks. But like, just to be very, very, you know, 
I guess, candid right now, literally driving on the interstate the other day where I was helping my, my girlfriend move something. My girlfriend is, is white and get pulled over. There was a speed trap, right? So they pulled us over to the side of the road. Uh, Amy's doing her thing, whatever. He's asking for all this stuff. I stay in the car. But it's that moment of, bruh, just the fear of being in that fucking situation. There is definitely some high anxiety. But when we pulled off, Amy was like, yeah, the officer, he was like, who is that in the car with you? And she's like, well, that's my boyfriend. And he's like, oh, does he work with you? Because her car is is a, a company vehicle. Probably too much information, but the point is just being in that situation yeah. is very fucking uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I remember growing up, there was like a group of us. We were like loitering in the parking lot of a bowling alley or something. Yeah. Just being, you know, like teenagers out in New Orleans. We could have gotten way more, more trouble because not only was there a drug dealer with us, but we had alcohol in someone's car as well. <laughs> but like we were just loitering. I think we were waiting for someone's girlfriend to meet us at this parking lot. For some, I don't know. This cop comes up. He's like, um, what the fuck? are y'all doing like if you're gonna loiter i'm gonna ask you have to leave he says do me a favor and empty your pockets and like i wasn't looking at the officer i was like looking at one of my friends at that point i instinctively like start pulling out my wallet my phone and stuff so does like one of my other friends and he says no no no, you two don't do that you do it and he has the one guy who has colored skin pull out shit and it's just like we all were taken back and you know we're like 14 15 16 barely have our driver's license driver permits we didn't know better but like in retrospect i'm like that was fucked that was totally fucked aaron i don't know if you've ever encountered something like that too but i know kelly you that happened to you the just the other day that's like kind of one of those things that again we can't relate to like yeah so one of the funny things i did appreciate about this movie is that jordan peele made the parents try and be like the white savior quote-unquote liberals of just i would have voted for obama a third time that's just as awkward as when like someone in a supervisor role or whatever like has you know hr training and they say like oh i don't see color that's such a fucking wrong way of approaching respecting other people um and respecting like where they came from and whether it's their culture or not just to say something like that is very disrespectful and like that kind of is right up there with the cringy dialogue he has with the father and the family in general well it it is a weird attempt to like homogenize things and it's a weird attempt to like whitewash like you said people's culture and their personality that's what the word i was looking for is whitewash it yeah and just neutralize it no like don't be colorblind embrace people for who they are and for the culture and like the perspective that they bring to your life like like that's the thing i guess it's just even get out pokes fun at that because yeah when the the blind guy is giving his like villain speech he asks him like why black people is like oh i don't know i don't give a crap he says something like it's not about race to me i just want your eyes but like that felt very much just that line of i don't see color like how many times have we fucking heard that line yeah yeah so to your point about the parents a second ago jordan peele has been very straight up this was kind of the nugget of the entire story period like it all kind of rooted in the post obama presidency era of well okay now we have a black president so everything's okay racism is dead everything's just going to be fine from now on defeated racism yeah right that's how so many people were trying to act you know and it was just one of those like well black people can stop complaining because you know there's a black president now right what 
right? There was just a lot of that attitude. And it's one of those things where that attitude has been so prevalent in all walks of life, right? If we're talking movies, let's think who has access and who has opportunity and who has been able to like have their voice heard historically in film. And it's one of those things where like I have heard from multiple people, well, you know, black people win Oscars all the time now, so I just, you know, I don't think there's really that big of a weird issue with, you know, who's getting attention and blah blah. blah. It's like, wait, what? Don't make this go well, you got one now, so it's okay. Stop complaining. Like, that's not what the argument Which, is, right? The fucking irony of that is the Golden Globes didn't know how to classify this film and what nominated it for a comedy or a musical. Well, that goes to the larger thing that we were joking about too earlier is just, you know, nobody wanted to fucking call this a horror movie. It was always yeah. elevated social thriller or like whatever the stupid phrase is. But the thing with the parents, just we're trying to be hip, we're trying to be cool, we're trying to like be with the times. That weird attempt to kind of marginalize through compartmentalization and just kind of put people in their little boxes. That way you can still keep people separated, but you can still see each other through the glass, you know, and it's like such a weird kind of thing in that sense. You know, all the jokes about like, oh, I would have voted for Obama the third time. Well, that was a lot of what Jordan Peele was kind of seeing was a lot of that weird surface level Hollywood white liberal kind of woo woo stuff. But I wouldn't even say it's just elite Hollywood white liberal like and I don't know, Kelly, you might be able to talk on this more with some of your experience, but it just feels like this is what it would be like in any kind of household where it's predominantly white and then someone brings their significant other who is a of a different race even just parents are trying to be accommodating and come off as sincere but they have no actual notion yeah, yeah. right yeah i would take it a step further and i'm gonna hit on both of y'all's points i'll start with yours first Derek, just because you just said it but what i would want people to think about is let's talk about the certain whites that may have certain conversations or say things when there's no black people in any social circle around them you know what i mean like yeah. like i know you brought up the significant other coming to town you know the the whole classic guest who's coming to dinner, you know, R.I.P. Sidney Poitier, but like, you know, what about these situations where people literally have no interaction with people of color and maybe not necessarily just black people, you know, people from the Latino community or the Muslim community. Like, I think the greatest thing that the film draws upon and like, I I just think about it over and over because I do think about the parents and this kind of goes into your, what you said earlier, Aaron, is I just have the words in my mind, like moving past racism, like, oh, it's over. You know what I mean? Like whether we voted for Obama or something else that you know, was justification for us to feel this way. It's like those characters portray the attitudes of specific white liberals who do feel like in this race relationship, like, oh, well, because of X, Y, and Z, you know, we've moved past it. But then on the flip side of that, you know, the film portrays a very vivid picture of, you know, whether you think you've moved past it or not, like, it's just not, that's not how it works. And I'll just go to say, like, you know, racism is not overt, you know, it's not in your face rambunctious. I think y'all know I'm the baby of 15. I have tons of half siblings, specifically they're they're half German, but I have four siblings that grew up with us in Detroit. But like my brother Ian still tells me to this day that there are, you know, relatives on that other side, not the Sherman side, you know, the side that look more like me. You know, these are people from the North. You know, oh, the North can't be racist, right? That's That shit's all down in Louisiana. You know what I mean? It's crazy that like Ian's like, yo, bro, they said some of the most racist, wild shit 
that yeah. I've ever heard. And these are people who Michiganders, like these are people that you don't you don't think of Michigan as a fucking racist state, right? And I think that's the thing is what both of y'all have kind of articulated is like, yo, like it's it's not simple, but also it's just not over, whether yeah. we like to think that we're the most progressive liberals in the world or not, you know? Yeah. Prejudice is everywhere and insulated closed mindedness is everywhere. Like it doesn't matter yeah. that historically the South was particularly bad about it because that's where slavery largely existed in the United States for a certain period of time, right? At the end of the day, like guess what? Prejudice is still everywhere. And the whole notion of, well, we're past this now, you know, we're in a post-racial America, like Jordan Peele was kind of getting at, was, you know, it's naive, but it's also kind of a weird attempt to, like, discredit anybody that feels otherwise. It's a very, like, no, 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 I hear what you're saying, but, but no, you're wrong, it's not that. You know, the, the, you can't be, you know, mad about X, Y, Z nowadays because that just doesn't happen anymore because, again, we're in a post-racial, post-Obama America. But clearly, like, we saw how that pendulum fucking swung in 2016, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, we're still dealing with the fallout of that now, right? And things are arguably worse than they probably have been in a long time in terms of racism in America with the capital R in all directions, right? Then you have people, and this is kind of going to the family as a whole, but especially the parents, because I know we're kind of still focusing on that aspect. They seem like caricatures of people who say they're like white progressives who kind of not bend over backwards in the right way of being an ally, but like be an ally almost like the showmanship or be like, oh, don't you like me? See, I have a black friend kind of like mentality. It's a facade. It's yeah. a facade. It's brownie yes. points. Yeah. Hey, this is my cool black friend. Yeah. One of the best things I ever heard during the Black Lives Matter protests that were happening across the country at the height of that, it was about how can you be an ally? What's the not the right way? That's a bad way of saying it. What's the successful way to being an ally? And one of the tenants that they listed, and this one really sat with me, is knowing just when to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. It's not your turn to <laughs> yeah. talk. Just shut the fuck up. And that's almost just as important as being the person to go talk to the police is, is what they were trying to say. I feel like that that's kind of like what the dad is like, especially. And even the son, like even her brother, like they don't know when to shut the fuck up. And like, I think that's like Jordan Peele, I think was maybe poking some fun at that with those characters and you know spoiler alert for get out by the way the fact that they turn out to be like the sinister like bad guys of the movie like you know that the whole family is like he's saying a lot just in that simple story twist well too kelly kind of mentioned it a second ago you know i think one smart thing that this movie does is you know and peel has been very specific about i did not want to have the opinions and the mindsets and undertones of everything that's happening here that makes you uncomfortable i didn't want that to come from the caricatured southern traditional rednecky racist ignorant kind of character right because that's overt everybody knows what that stereotype looks like you know it's the kind of thing we joke a lot where like if you've got a rebel flag sticker on the back of your vehicle like cool you're kind of letting me know with a big giant neon sign to like not take any opinions that you have seriously or spend time with you as a person right if you walk in and you know you've got swastika tattoos on cool i know exactly what you're about fuck off you know so it's more effective when you can kind of have 
have that mirror held up to you, this is kind of the everyday, in air quotes, normal, middle-of-the-road American, and these are kind of the failings of where you still struggle to relate and interact and acknowledge other people's humanity. It's way more effective in that sense because you really do have to think about your own actions and things you've said in the past and done in the past and how you've interacted with other people. Because you can always, again, look at the traditional racist, redneck, southerner stereotype and say, oh, but that's not me. But it's like a whole different conversation when you have to consider, oh, but I'm kind of like these people in these ways, right? So, like, am I part of this problem? Have I done some of these same things? Have I accidentally been around black friends and suddenly developed black scent all of a sudden where I'm saying thang like the dad of this fucking movie, you know? But, you know, I, I like the way that he very effectively is holding that mirror up to America. And it's always fun to see Daniel Kaluuya's reactions to things because he's very much, oh no, I know exactly what's going on here. Very clued into what you're trying to do or what you're actually trying to say to me. And the way that he kind of immediately reacts to everything that's going on around him is so fucking fun to watch because he's very aware of everything that's going on around him. And that's also, too, why I think he's such an enjoyable protagonist to this movie because he's not dumb in that horror movie protagonist kind of way. He's always very aware of what's going on and on top of things and actively making decisions. Like, he's not a passive protagonist. He's making all the right decisions. He is trying to get out at all turns and things just keep kind of escalating but I enjoy the fact that he's like I said not a passive protagonist and he's very much aware of what's happening around him. To your point with Chris as the protagonist like one of my favorite scenes I think I've seen in a movie in a while was the third or fourth weird fucking thing that happened like either with Georgina or like one of the people at the dinner party and he's been kind of keeping it together like keeping his cool like he, he seems like he knows how to deal with all awkwardness of this like people comparing his physique to like tiger woods and shit like that it's kind of obvious it's making him uncomfortable and like he's also like this is kind of not just casual racism but also just fucking weird when the third or fourth really weird thing happens to him he just goes what the fuck and like (laughs) when he says that first what the fuck out loud i did laugh out loud at that part it was such a like earnest scene whereas if any of us were in that situation that would be where like okay like the first or second time yeah that's weird I'm gonna think about that for a while but when it happens like a third or fourth time especially with Georgina she's the creepiest part of this movie to me by far but once I've had another interaction like that that's when I'd be like fuck this I'm done (laughs) (laughs) Betty Gabriel's great in this she's also in Purge election year and Upgrade that I've mentioned on the show Upgrade was so fucking good yeah Yeah, she's so good in Upgrade she's one of those people that I'd like to see in more stuff going forward for sure it's the thing this cast they are all casted perfectly like the brother is such a fucking sleazebag the dad <laughs> it's what's his face from um i last saw him in cabin in the woods bradley whitford it's from billy madison it's from billy madison you're right that's billy madison right yeah. there yeah <laughs> business 
ethics. <laughs> Talk about the nightmare father-in-law. Yeah. If everything was normal, if this relationship progressed perfectly, if they get married, man, you've got Bradley Whitford as your father-in-law. God. <laughs> but yeah, he's, you know, obviously one of those that guy actors that's been in a ton of stuff. You know, we just mentioned Billy Madison, but he was on the West Wing for a long time. He's in Cabin in the Woods. He's currently on Handmaid's Tale. He's been in a ton of stuff as the driest most sarcastic air to him just asshole yeah, like, yeah total yes. asshole yeah he's one of those guys that just specializes in always being a prick Catherine keener plays the mom missy she has also been in a ton of great stuff fucking out of sight being john malkovich 40 year old virgin capote synecdoche capote, new york yeah. she was just in brand new cherry flavor on netflix so yeah the two of them are great and like having well-known character actors in the role of these parents is what kind of grounds the family in a great way because you've seen them in other things and you know that historically, again, both of those actors have played lots of untrustworthy characters, right? Lots of like underhanded kind of smarmy characters. So it's interesting that you're immediately thrown in and you're supposed to like feel comfortable with them and they seem very nice outwardly, but you know, I'm not supposed to try Trust Bradley Whitford. Whenever he's in a movie, he's the bad guy somehow or another, right? <laughs> Catherine Keener always has something going on under the surface. So there is that nice paranoia within the audience. Something's not right with this family immediately. And then fucking Caleb Landry Jones plays Jeremy the brother and he kicks the fucking door wide open in his first scene on oh this family's fucked up because he comes yeah. in and is trying to like physically fight Chris and is just being weird pushy asshole aggressive hey you like UFC yeah <laughs> like ultimate fighting yeah. and I swear like he also specializes in just playing like weird creepy fucked up assholes the last exorcism social network antivirus Viral, Three billboards. Florida Project. Twin Peaks. Yeah, he was like the burnout boyfriend in Twin Peaks. Yeah, he did this movie and Twin Peaks in the same year. And I, I joked with Heather when we were rewatching this the other night. As somebody who has like a nasty mustache right now, <laughs> because I have to like wear a fucking mask every day. Did he grow that nasty ratty mustache just for shits? Or did Jordan Peele ask him to do it? Or did David Lynch ask him to do it? Because he's got the same nasty mustache in both things. I want to say both Jordan and David asked him to do it. <laughs> Probably so. Have y'all seen Three Billboards? Yes. I have not. I mean, everybody in Three Billboards is fucking good, but he's great, and they're all great, but he's really good in that as well. Yeah. So, between the three of them, right away, I also joked with Heather about this too, Allison Williams, to me, has just prime psycho energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. And granted, I've only ever seen her on Girls, because Heather watched that show while it was on in kind of a weird masochistic way and this and she's kind of off her rocker in both things her eyes are always a little too wide open and she's always smiling a little bit too much kind of weird psycho energy so that immediately, guy's lifeless eyes yeah like a Donald's eyes <laughs> so immediately 
immediately <laughs> like, you know something's up with this family, and it puts you on edge, and you're constantly looking for, like, the weird details on the edge of the frame and the things that they're saying. On top of that, wasn't she in The Perfection a year later? Yeah. Which is, I know is another, like, wild fucking horror movie. Yeah. So everybody in this cast has some kind of horror connection from the rest of their filmography, which is interesting, for sure. Even Kaluuya, when this movie came out, I really only ever knew him as the guy from that Black Mirror where they were all on the stationary bikes. And so seeing him in this immediately was like, okay, wow, this guy is next level. He is going to be in a bunch of stuff going forward. And since then, obviously, Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, Judas and the Black Messiah. He's got Black Panther 2 coming up. And Peel's next movie, Nope as well so oh and he was in fucking Sicario too we were just talking about Denny Villeneuve a little while ago he was in Sicario as well didn't he win a fuck ton of awards for Judas and the Black Messiah as well yeah yeah I need to watch that movie it's good it it pisses you off but it's good yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) Uh, it makes you fucking mad but yeah and I think that's exactly what you told me when we were talking about it like your first message back after I asked you was hey have you seen this yet and you were like yeah it's gonna make me fucking mad (laughs) just thinking about it which yeah that entire story is fucked up again you want to talk about racial problems in america there you go that story was 40 plus years ago and uh we're still dealing with the same kind of shit today yay hooray but lakeith stanfield is also in that movie and he's fucking incredible yeah and same thing this was one of the first things that i saw him in as well and he arguably of everybody in this cast he's also gone on to have a wild career and probably the most interesting i think of everybody as far as the wide range of stuff that he's been in short term 12 which was daniel destin cretton's early movie and now he's done fucking shang chi yeah he was in the purge anarchy selma dope straight out of compton atlanta sorry to bother you where he's fucking hilarious uncut gems knives out judas and the black messiah and the harder they fall which is like a fucking awesome black western that's on netflix right now so he's had a pretty killer career and it's wild too because he's in two scenes of this movie that's it and the two scenes that he's in are like so fucking memorable are memorable yeah like yeah i've mentioned everything with the housekeeper georgina and even the groundskeeper walter like throughout this movie are some of the creepiest stuff but like the most goosebumps kind of chill down your spine moment of this movie in my opinion is when he takes a picture and accidentally has the flash on and it flashes at Logan King. That's when he like screams the title of the movie, like get out, get the fuck out. Yeah. That's also the point of the movie where I would be like, all right, no one's keeping me here. I'm done. Like I'm out. <laughs> he also was in the opening scene too, where like he gets fucking abducted by the brother wearing that goddamn like night outfit or whatever he's wearing. The thing that I liked about this movie is there was also a lot of elements of show don't tell. And like, you can tell the brother was thinks he's a hard ass. He's obsessed with, ultimate fighting and wants to test out his physique but also like when he abducts their victims you can tell like he tries to adopt this almost slasher persona I felt like with him putting on like that knight's helmet oh it gets weirder than that so listening to the feature commentary with Peel he built out kind of this whole giant backstory for everything that's going on that literally involves this whole weird secret society of people who are connected to the Knights Templar. And that's why there's so much 
knight and medieval imagery in the movie. There's a lot of lion imagery in it as well, which the lion was a representation of God that was used there in the Crusades a lot. It's this whole wild search for the Holy Grail, find immortality kind of weird conspiracy theory nonsense that he's working into the script. So yeah, he has this Templar helmet as like a weird, oh, this is kind of the origins of this giant multinational group that now is trying to like fucking body snatch people well and that would explain like all the rich white people who just fucking show up too yeah and it's interesting that he's got all these little bits and pieces of ideas and like you said so much of it never gets explained and i love it it's the right level of we're gonna put weird little details in but not have to go overboard with exposition and constantly giving you every detail right it's world building done right yeah the bingo yeah. cards during the auction scene we're never explained what that is there's never a moment where somebody in the crowd nudges somebody's like hey i'm new to this can you explain to me what's yeah. going on and they have yeah. to go into this giant ex- you don't need to know that you don't need to know any explanation of that you don't need to know are they betting money are they betting weird ancient artifacts are they betting whatever right we don't need to know we just need to know what's going on you visually connect the dots and you understand and you also understand if you know any level of historical context because that's exactly how things went during the slave days right and so there's all these deeper connections that are being made that don't have to be explained to the audience because guess what this movie fucking treats the audience like they are smart and can think and connect dots and it doesn't have to hold your hand you can tell like during that scene especially in a lot of the other scenes that this is something that has happened multiple times previously it's just you know up this is the annual party where one of us gets the reward and the reward is really fucked up when you learn the full story but yeah like and even just going back to the brother like beyond the abduction in the beginning the only other like part of that you hear the mom or the dad say like oh you're lucky that we abducted you Allison's way or not Allison's way Rose's way it would have been a lot worse for you if Jeremy was the one who abducted you which is what we see in the beginning yeah going back to like us choosing this movie and the timing of it all kelly out of all the guests we've had out of all the people we've talked to like you by far were the one who wanted to get out the most uh which is interesting to me because when i watched this for the first time ever like a week ago and i rewatched it again leading up to our recording session it struck me as that this is one of those movies that kind of paradigm shifts the genre i've heard the same thing about like hereditary like this feels like overnight instantly already a classic and so it it is a little surprising to me that you were the only one that like was really kind of hardcore wanting to do this movie beyond the more coming of age horror movies that we've had you on in the past what about this one stands out to you differently than Fright Night or Waxwork I think for me like it boils down to just how smart it is there aren't a lot of films period whether they're just undertones or whatever but specifically definitely horror films just like at its core what it deals with and what it deals with is it's a term that you know first seeing the film and like diving in and and i don't know if jordan peele has used this term before but it's something called negrophilia and what's so like scary just really really feels palpable in this film is it's the romanticization of blackness 
and how, you know, it's something to be accumulated instead of a cultural identity to be understood. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the guy at the garden party with the mustache going on about, you know, black is fashionable. Yeah. It's something yeah. to be yeah. expressed and like you want to possess that. I mean, it's the definition of cultural appropriation. It's beyond, oh, well, we're going to take your music and we're going to take your food and we're going to take your writing and we're going to take your clothing. It's we're going to take you. We are literally bodily, mind, heart, soul, everything, like going to take who you are and absorb that. It's almost like a very different type of slavery. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to me that the person that is chosen to take over Chris's body is the blind guy. So I tried not to like read too much because I know this movie has been like analyzed to death already, but like tried to come at it with my own thoughts on it, even if the thoughts were similar. I couldn't help myself. I did read some of the stuff that Jordan Peele was talking about. And one of the things that stuck with me because I thought the same thing while I was watching this is the character of Hudson who's played by Steven Root the blind guy who is going to be the one to take over Chris's body and he's the one that delivers I don't see color type of line he even like states or comes off in his earlier dialogue that he's the least racist of the whole group there but at the end of the day he's still just perpetuating the system 100%. completely yeah that complacency almost is what makes this kind of genre of racism all the more horrifying and literally horrifying in the way it manifests where it literally is them you know, like you said body snatching rich white people body snatching like the bodies of physically strong or like gifted people of color and like that's the subtext is all over the place there yeah and it's crazy that you say that because in, in a way it's almost like he speaks to all of you know the people that fall in that category where it's like his blindness in a way you know his own thinking is one thing but it yields a whole different type of horror for the people who fall under that specific way of thinking but i think what was cool is like even when i talked about the ownership or the accumulating right when they're coming in to the party like all the people are coming to the actual bingo game Jordan Peele's like astute detail, like even down to the cars that they came in. I don't know if y'all noticed, they all come in black cars. Yep. Yeah. I think Jordan was equating like ownership of a vehicle to like ownership of the black bodies that they were also going to get as well. Yeah. I mean, just, just very small details that were just, it was really well done. Well, and, and the thing that kind of like even takes the horror even a little bit a step further despite how many of these rich white assholes were wanting this procedure that the dad does and like the grandfather started and now the dad perfected as much of as they want this done to them so much you see how imperfect the actual like thing is yeah. with the way that the groundskeeper and the housekeeper and logan are acting because they're acting like robotic and like overly sincere and it's almost like the person who's now in control is constantly fighting with the original personality to keep it at yeah. bay they're they're very stiff and very like robotic it's very like a uh, stepford wives kind of and i don't know did jordan mention stepford wives at all in his uh commentary i think he did yes I think he, he did. did actually there is a scene in stepford wives where the husbands are kind of all walking around the house and observing things and kind of getting the like this is your preview this is your test drive of what you could have and so the garden party scene is very reminiscent of that but to your point about the three people that we do see who have already been coagulated i guess which even like that word specifically again goes to like just the notion of homogenization and that we're just gonna kind of mush everything together into this new bland lacking definition kind of thing right this new like status quo 
the three people that we do see, like you said, they can't quite keep it together. And there does kind of seem to be a little bit of that inner struggle of I am this square old white person and I'm now in the body of a younger black person and I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to act. I don't know how to behave. I'm trying to like pass in a certain way because that's how my brain functions. And I think I have to be a certain way and present myself a certain way because I don't fundamentally just understand what makes us us and what makes people human right there's that weird fight of like you said the the competing entities that are in that body and that struggle that we see that happens every once in a while like there's definitely something going on there for sure and it bleeds out every once in a while and you do have to kind of wonder like you said whether or not this entire system and method is really working the way it should well and again the horror of it is that they're still gonna keep trying yeah they're still coming to this fucking party wanting to be the chosen one and whether it's to cheat death or like get his eyesight back despite it obviously being a very imperfect result they still want it and like at the expense of these innocent black people that they're fucking just abducting specifically we're talking about the sunken place which i love his just use of that and as a device yeah. Damn, being trapped down there and you just see it as a screen like way up in the distance. That's terrifying. I remember leaving the fucking theater. I looked at my friend. You know, we were just talking about the film, of course. Like, you know, we're we are literally those dudes that like will leave the theater and even if it's fucking cold outside, we'll be shivering at the car talking about the fucking experience, right? Sit in the parking lot for an hour afterward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I always felt like it kind of spoke to like the marginalization of black people in America and specifically like Chris yelling, fucking screaming, you know, and his voice is just drowned out. Yeah. The feeling of being, you know, helpless. It's sad when you think about kind of makes you a little emotional, right? Like you think about how and I hate to make a fucking an analogy or, or a connection to a fucking film when it's somebody's life but all i can think about it you know is george floyd and in a way that was his his sunken place this motherfucker like put a knee on his neck and fucking killed him and this dude called out for his mama at the end of his life you know and it i hate to make it this serious but like it's just crazy like how just intermittent some of this shit is in everyday life for certain people of color and that's the saddest part is this shit is real you know total hats off to Jordan Peele for like bringing this and making it digestible in a way where like people are having real conversations but yeah sunken dude the sunken place if we talk about anything that really just fucking tripped me out in this movie that whole scene with the sunken place with that bitch with that cup yeah and she, she just goes <laughs> sinking to the floor and he like oh bro he, and man I was feeling a little uncomfortable like, during that oh like, yeah yeah just the idea of being trapped in my own body when someone else is in like the driver's seat yeah and I'm down there looking up barely can see hear or anything what they're doing man like that's like a nightmare yeah that, that is a nightmare come to life yeah i have never been in a situation like that but it's just that feeling of when we wake up in the morning god willing like we have full control of our life that feeling of being in a situation where you have no control of your life in that moment i guess that's the nature of the beast you know well it, it is just such a perfect visualization of what disassociation is yeah not just definitely. unconsciously going into that place but but I think what's even more sad is just the fact that it can be such a coping mechanism for so many people where it's not somewhere that you're kind of forced to go to. Like you said earlier about just screaming, crying to be heard, and nobody can hear you. You're just so drowned out by everything around you. But the fact that, you know, I have 
heard people like in my actual life joke about, you know, I was so uncomfortable in XYZ position that I just had to put myself in the sunken place to get through the rest of that interaction. And like the fact that that has already become such a pop culture phrase that we actually use in day-to-day life and the fact that people willingly have to go there just to kind of get through their day is what's sad to me too the fact that you're willing to disassociate from who you are because society like makes it that uncomfortable for you to just exist and live your life sometimes it's such a terrifying kind of thing and that moment where she's talking to him and he's telling the story about his mom and the part where she tells him to sink down the bed like when the bass hits in that moment that's where sitting in the theater watching that movie i was like holy shit like this movie just kind of went to the next level with what this movie's doing you know because up to that point it had been pretty straightforward you're so scared (laughs) you think it was your fault How do you feel now? I can't move. You can't move. Why can't I move? You're paralyzed. Just like that day when you did nothing. You did nothing. Now, sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. And that was the moment where, like, the entire movie just fucking blew wide open for me. And it was operating on a whole different level. And when you find out some of the reveals in the end, I mean, the only exposition we really get is why are they doing this, basically? And it's when he's talking to the blind guy. They never go into, like, exactly what the actual procedure is. It involves some kind of brain surgery, and that's all we really get, which I appreciated because I don't need to know how the actual, like, process happens. But the little reveals at the end where, like, you find out that Georgina is actually the grandmother, uh, and you find out that the groundskeeper is actually the grandfather. They specifically say grandma, grandpa, yeah. Yeah, go get him, grandpa, is, like, what she says as he, like, takes off after him but then you start thinking about everything and that's part of the reason why this movie is so fucking rewatchable yeah because the groundskeeper is constantly doing like physical shit running around and chopping wood yeah and you could tell like the grandfather is obsessed with having like a powerful body well not just that but the entire fucking scene where bradley whitford's showing chris the photos of the grandpa and talking about the whole jesse owens yeah. thing yeah. like yeah oh and he 
almost got over it, right? And then you kind of realize, like, wait, the scene where that motherfucker, like, just runs at Chris full blast. Oh, man. You know, just out of the darkness. And you realize he's just fucking running around trying to beat that time still. <laughs> yeah. It's such a goofy detail that's also still scary and weird in such an unnerving way. But there's so many, so, so, so many little details that you only pick up on second third viewing it is the little details that really make this movie something special on top of already all the other things that it does so well even just thinking about walter and georgina who the fuck do you know that's our age named walter and georgina (laughs) right (laughs) those are just such old people names and you know of course at the end too you see they've got a big giant scar across their forehead from the procedures and georgina's been hiding it with a wig which is why she's constantly kind of adjusting her hair and fussing with it you don't really think much of it earlier necessarily like it's weird right but then that's also the reason why walter and logan logan are wearing hats right to hide that scar it's like you said it's one of those weird things that the process is still so imperfect yet they're still just constantly willing to go for it and to circle back around to steven root's character i mean i thought about this as y'all were kind of talking but just the fact that he represents apathy and he is just the kind of sidelined i don't have a dog in this fight i don't really have a reason to feel one way or the other but i'm just looking out for myself that entire attitude is so much of the reason why our country is the way it is unfortunately you know there's always going to be the extreme ends of the spectrum you know in both directions but that 70 percent or so in the middle politically speaking economically speaking just every way that you possibly can right that 60 to 70 percent of people just right in the middle they don't care they don't care about anything they want to go to work they want to come home they want to watch dumb tv and go to bed and as long as things don't go bad for them they don't care And that's kind of what Stephen Root kept saying was, you know, I don't have any of the like weird underlying beliefs or whatever in this thing. I just want my sight back. I just want for me. I just want my shit straightened out. And so, yeah, I'm willing to go along with this and just whatever. Like, as long as I get my thing, it's fine. That entire attitude is so much of the reason why, like, nothing in this country fucking works. And fucking Stephen Root, man, like, just total tangent but seeing him in book of boba fett recently was also kind of wild like what the (laughs) fuck but in general too to the idea that like there's just lots of little details just the way that the parents analyze chris for like any and every flaw is also so telling in this weird double way like just criticizing his smoking and knowing that you want to take care of that body we need to like take care of this vessel you don't need to smoke anymore just those little weird details and you don't think anything of it the first time you're watching it second time you've got a whole different context right same thing too the scene with the deer and there's lots of deer imagery and it's kind of a twofold thing i mean there's obviously like all the stuff about the buck and kind of what that traditionally means from like a race standpoint and everything else but i think what's more interesting to me is the idea of the deer especially the deer at the beginning representing chris's mother and once you find out what happened actually with his mother and so much of his underlying fear and anxiety and his insecurities stem from the fact that he feels responsible for her death 
It's the reason why he gets out of the car at the beginning to see what happened with the deer. And it's the reason why he walks off into the woods because he's trying to see, did this deer get away? Did this deer live this time? You know, am I somehow cosmically responsible for this happening again? And just the idea of that kind of being a thing that comes back to haunt him and kind of jump starts a lot of this. And overcoming that fear is what kind of helps him power through. And it's interesting too. I mean, we've been talking spoilers this whole episode but it's interesting too how personal it seems whenever he does kill Catherine Keener the way that he kind of puts his forehead to hers and kind of embraces her it's very much in this more intimate way than he dispatches the rest of the family you know and it's partly just the weird again thinking about what could have been right Catherine Keener could have been a mother to him that he never or has not had in years but also just the fact that she kind of helps him unlock that and in doing so it kind of gives him the mechanism he needs to power through and overcome everything else that happens in this story and push through to the end well it, it causes him to hesitate and go back for Georgina even though her body is taken over by the grandmother that too yeah he even says fuck not right now or something like that and thinks back to his mom one last thing and I don't know if either of you noticed this I feel like each member of the family represented like a different type of just base evil in general yeah they were all calculating in their own way, but the father was kind of just the one who was maybe the the most obvious in terms of being the brain of this, being the, the one who like wax poetically. The mother is very much the manipulator. The son is very much the in-your-face, almost goon-like muscle. And then you have Rose, who is also a hunter, just like her brother, but she is very much like you were saying earlier, Aaron, like she is the psychopath hunter, like she is almost the serial killer, like to the point where she saves a picture of all the past people that she's basically like honeypotted into abduction into this family. And when she heel turns, her heel turn is more significant than anyone else in the family because everyone else in the family, you can kind of see it coming. And then her heel turn is so sudden. And even if you knew like she's in on it, her whole demeanor changes. You know, she even puts her hair up in a ponytail. She dresses completely differently. Just very, like, kind of relaxed. The calm hunter who, like, waits for her prey and likes to play with them. Whereas the brother is all about, like, action and, like, being physical. And I was trying to figure out between all four of them, which would be the scariest to deal with. And I kept going back between her and the mom. Because the mom can, like, fuck with your mind and basically, like, scarecrow you into the sunken place. But, like, then you have Rose who can basically turn your own feelings against you and then lead you in so much so that you're trapped and it's too late it's very interesting how each of them fulfill a different dynamic in the family with what's going on and that goes along with all the rest of the world building jordan peele did on the side which like you were saying earlier with the templar stuff and everything this is side tangent but like the whole idea of serial killers with that compulsion to like relive moments through artifacts and keeping trophies and all this bullshit that's something I've never understood is if you're doing some heinous shit leave no trace right leave no fucking evidence well that's their ego yeah exactly you yeah, gotta that, have your fucking like weird trophy box of bullshit that you can go back to that is constantly in the back of your head you know so, of all the people we've talked about this movie, we haven't even talked about fucking Rel yet. I was just about to bring him up. Yeah, he's he's fucking great 
in this movie. Ride or die, man. That, he is a ride or die best friend, by yeah. the way. Oh, yeah. Totally. I love oh, yeah. that he is kind of the right level of, I'm willing to get fucking conspiracy theory weird, but I'm not gonna, like, fully, fully commit to that. It's just enough to get him to connect the dots and power through and actually solve what's going the fuck on. But, you know, still too much that he sounds crazy to all the police and they fucking laugh at him. For me, what's the, you know, a film's called Get out right i don't know where jordan peele had said this but he was talking about the origin of the movie title there's this thought that like oh black people talk to the screen and you know in scary movies so you can't go watch no horror movie with black people because you know they're gonna be talking to the movie theater screen and you know all this and i think what was dope is that's just what get out implied was and it's not just like a black trope like oh black people watching horror movies we like oh don't go in the closet you know don't go in the fucking bathroom i get what you're saying it's just the audience knee jerk what you're you're telling yourself in your head the entire time we're watching something, which is just pick up the gun and shoot him in the head. 100%. Just 100%. pick up the keys and drive away. Just get out of the house. It's always those things. And that shit becomes comical at a point, you know, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. What I'm saying never comes to fruition. It's yeah. always the fucking opposite. But like, I think Lil Rail was, his character was so dope because he was the one motherfucker in the movie that was like, everything I was thinking, go, no matter how fucking crazy it was, the scene where, you know, it's basically, I would say a two setup. It's him talking to the police yeah. and he's got the dog and he's like, look, I'm going to tell y'all some crazy shit. <laughs> and, and even when he's going conspiracy theory, he's still like proving to be not only a loyal and good friend, but he puts in like the work to like figuring yeah. the mystery out, basically. Yeah. And like, yeah. I love that. What's that final line? He says, this, I told you, man, I was right. <laughs> I told you don't go in that house. Yeah. yeah a, <laughs> to that point, like, I think the movie is even self-aware of like, get out idea. Cause even the title opening track is issuing warning, get out, run, like run. Run. Yeah. If we're going to yeah. do like one minor small gripe, the soundtrack was maybe a little bit more in the background for me. But I think honestly, that's just because the movie didn't necessarily need a stellar soundtrack because it was already in a, an amazing movie. But it was great to like hear that opening track. And then it goes into Redbone by uh, Childish Gambino. I hadn't heard that song in a minute. Yeah. So it was nice. To, like I was like, ah, oh, damn. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, that opening track. And what's dope is, you know, as soon as it hits, you're like, OK, I know what my experience is about to be. You know, yeah. It's just, yeah. it gets you. And I think there actually are lyrics. Aren't there lyrics to Redbone that are like, stay woke yeah. and don't shut your eyes? Well, it's interesting, too, because it hits at a moment where you're being introduced to Chris and you're seeing a look around his apartment and you're seeing his photographs yeah. and you're seeing who he is as a character before he's even said anything. You get a pretty good sense yeah. of who he yeah. is right at the beginning. But the song, I think, is interesting, too, because it's indicative of who he is. He is, like we said earlier, he's, he's very self-aware. He understands what's going on. He pays attention. He's capturing this side of life that other people are not seeing, right, with his photography. He is the character that is already at that point. And so the song is very much about him yeah. in that sense. And it's it's a very fitting needle drop. But I, I like the score for the rest of the movie as well, too. There's, there's a lot of good shit in there. Peel specifically said he told the composer, like, I want the most weird, fucked up, haunted, Negro spiritual 
in like a spooky church. That's kind of what I want the rest of the score to sound like. You know, they kind of knocked it out of the park making that into kind of a thing, right? But yeah, the music in this is pretty solid. And going back to like my love of us, he kind of takes that to the entire next level because that movie also very much uses specific songs and the score for that movie is kind of next level weird. So it's one of the things like I appreciate that he's very, very conscious of all aspects of filmmaking. You know, there's so many directors that really only pay attention to like one, two, three various aspects, but he's been so specifically hands-on with all aspects of this movie that it truly is this unique expression of him in that sense. This doesn't feel like a work for hire. This isn't just a script that he like walked on to or a job that he filled in on the last minute. Like this is just purely his thing. And even something as specific as the music that's largely out of the director's hands is still so much a reflection of his vision for this movie. But yeah, as far as the ending of this movie goes, you know, obviously it's tense, 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 which for some reason in the back of my head, I thought this movie really only goes fucking bananas in the last 15 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And so watching it again this time, and I mean, I've seen it a few times now, I guess I was just really kind of focusing in and I was taking notes this time, but it's kind of wild that pretty shortly after the hour mark is where everything like really immediately turns and goes downhill. And like I said, I was thinking it was just the last few minutes, but it's one of those things where the ending is so boom, 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 everything happening in quick succession. Yeah. There's such a giant buildup and there's an intensity and an inertia that's happening as everything's kind of steamrolling to the end. And I think it builds so fucking perfectly to the point where the cop car shows up and those lights flash and you hear the siren and you fucking know you know exactly what's about to happen. And that's exactly where your mind goes. And like, I could feel the entire theater immediately. Everybody was just like, fuck. The air gets sucked out of the room, bro. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing. We all know why. And the fact that we all know why, I think perfectly says that, yes, there is an issue and that issue exists and there's no way to deny that there is an issue, right? And we don't even have to say that issue aloud, but we all know what that problem is, right? Yeah. It's such a fucking good decision that it doesn't go there. Yeah. Of all the, like, horror movies that we've talked about where, like, okay, there's an alternate ending or it was originally supposed to be this way or there was a much darker ending or whatever, I'm so fucking thankful that the movie does not go there. I think the movie puts you right on the fucking precipice of that so that you still get that impact and you still get that feeling and you still get that gut punch. But immediately, like, opening up that pressure valve and it's rail and he's here to save the day like people in our theater were like fucking clapping yeah everybody was immediately just like fuck yeah and then of course as soon as chris gets in the car and everything is settled rail's got the best fucking closing joke to like really really let the pressure out and everybody kind of breathes that sigh of relief and the credits roll from there but yeah that ending was so fucking perfect 
perfect, and I'm so glad that Peel went that direction. I don't think the movie would have the same impact if it just went full dark at the end, because I think that's exactly what everybody's expecting in that moment. And the fact that he subverts that so expertly yeah, is kind yeah. of exactly the like fuck yeah moment that I think everybody needed. So uh, the ending of this movie is perfect, like a hundred percent perfect to me. Aaron kind of hit it on the head, and it's one of those things where you, if you watch the film, you know, you'll definitely know the moment, because of course everyone knows about that other ending, and I kind of struggle with, I'm glad that it went this way, but you kind of, you wonder like, what would have, you know, how, because I'm trying to think of, you know, like this isn't a Fruitvale station, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not supposed to have that ending, and it's good that it doesn't have that ending, but I guess I kind of still, I grapple in my own mind of, of knowing both sides, right? And what I, all I mean by that is just literally like, knowing that, okay, well, it went this way, but it could have went that way but like everything that kind of comes before i think that's the crazy part the crazy part is really the journey it's like we think about everything that chris has kind of gone through literally the ending of him driving away safely or if he had not drove away safely you know what what does that amount to in the i guess the grand scheme of things sure you know you think about everything that he's been through I i had a great thought And I was just thinking about, oh, man, I guess it goes back to the sunken place. Like, Aaron, when you talked about, like, seeing Chris's apartment at the beginning, finding out who he is a little bit. But for me, it just spoke to, like, yo, like, this dude is an individual and he has certain things about himself. And then as the film progresses a little bit, you learn about how trauma and pain has played a deep role in his life. And then, like, we meet the mother and the sunken place comes in to, like, just suppress everything that makes him who he is. Yeah. It's something that I'll be real with you. I don't have a yes or no answer but i just love the idea of just what this film does where it just makes you think yeah yeah i wasn't sure how it would end because let's say i wouldn't have been surprised if it ended totally dark it is a cop who steps out of the vehicle or like he does show up and like he finds chris in the house and chris is acting like the blind guy or whatever like i wouldn't have been surprised if it was that way and i wouldn't have been surprised if it was like maybe an up in the air ending like he gets arrested but like at the same time like maybe like there's some cliffhanger that leads it open-ended that maybe he'll get out in the end or you know just like a bittersweet ending he kills rose and is crying and walks off into the darkness or something like that but the ending i wasn't expecting was you know rod showing up and like that fuck yes ending yeah but i'm glad for it i'm glad like aaron said in that moment at least it felt like the perfect ending like you're saying kelly though it is interesting in the grand scheme of things what would have been the most impactful ending at the end of the day we'll never know because that wasn't what happened what happens is rod saves him which is a very memorable solid ending and like it tested well in the test screenings versus whatever the alternate endings were original endings but yeah it's just interesting to think about would another ending have a longer lasting punch or not if this whole movie is subverting so much would it have just been kind of a slap in the face to have a typical dark horror ending after you've seen all this shit happen to this character maybe it would piss you off in the same way as Judas (laughs) and the Black Messiah would but I am glad this is the ending we got this is the ending I feel like the movie didn't need and makes sense with Rod's character too (laughs) I do kind of like enjoy after like all the shit when you really think of what this family and specifically Rose has been doing to people for so long and what they did to Chris leaving her just bleeding out on the road that's what you deserve (laughs) you deserve that the other thing just talk about false pretenses going into this movie the only one that I really had was and this kind of it goes back to like me never seeing the movie and also just how fucking like mislabeled this movie actually was 
of like we had said way earlier in the episode, people just not wanting it to call it a horror film because it is. It's a horror film. Capital H horror film. I thought going into it, it was actually a comedy horror film. And while there are comedic elements to this movie, you know, we just talked about Rod, but there are other moments with some of that snappy dialogue and, you know, awkwardness. I don't think it's a comedy at all. Like, I think it is just a straight up horror movie. It runs the gamut of emotions and one of them happens to be, you know, humor. Well, we've talked about it before, but comedy and horror are very much utilizing the same mechanisms and so much of it is about timing and so much of it is about reveals and so it's somebody who excels at one typically does the other well as well again just we talked about key and peel the sketch show earlier and just how it kind of deftly blends those two things even there and that's the weird thing the fact that it was jordan peel who made this movie that wasn't an aspect as to why i was assuming it would be a comedy horror it was all just the mislabeling of this movie when it dropped and like when it was going through award season and everything in my mind i was like of course jordan peel can bounce from comedy to horror like that makes sense to me it's just interesting that everything else all the media surrounding this movie kind of mislabeled it yeah it's a horror movie it's scary it's creepy it's dreadful but it does have some laughs in it too two more quick things and then i think we'll probably wrap it up so i hate the like rich people thing of someone else did a thing and I'm going to take credit for that. The scene where Catherine Keener's like, cool, I'm going to go get dessert. And she walks into the kitchen and the door swings open and you see Georgina already fucking standing there with the dessert. Because duh, she fucking made it. And then Catherine Keener walks back into the dining room with it and is like, oh yeah, I just, you know, put this together. Ha ha, here I am with this dessert I made and sits it on the table. Like she doesn't say I made it, right? But it's that same impression. Heather and I watched through Succession and it's something that happens on that show all the fucking time that drives me up the wall. <laughs> That's such a specific thing to be bothered by. <laughs> that entire show to me drove me crazy because fucking shitty rich people drive me crazy. But, like, that specific thing happens in that show a lot. Oh, I'm going to go do whatever. And then really, like, somebody else, your help, they've already actually been the ones who put in all the work and did it. And you're just going to pick it up and bring it and present it to everybody as if you actually did something, right? That's just one of those weird rich people things that drives me up the fucking wall. (laughs) Well, Manny, I was going to say, but now let's take it to another level with this fucking movie. It's almost like Inception in a way i get exactly what you're saying and it fucking drives me too but let's just say for instance let's dig a little deep real quick let's say the real character of georgina didn't like to fucking cook at all in her life right yeah so in a way it's not her cooking it's the fucking crazy grandmother who literally stole her body yeah making her cook and it's like a whole nother level to that shit bro yeah i didn't even think about that until you just said it the other thing i'll say too during that opening driving scene where chris and rose are driving down that wooded road out in the middle of nowhere 100 fucking percent I knew that this movie was filmed in the deep south for real because that's our fucking pine trees and vines and woods and everything else. And it's one of those things that I can pick out in movies. Oh, yeah, no, this was shot either in Alabama or Louisiana or Georgia because those are like southern pine trees, etc. As we were watching it in the theater for the first time, the credits rolled and it gets all the way to the end and it's, you know, oh, yeah, we'd like to thank the city of Fair 
Fire Hope Alabama, and we were just like, God damn it, of course, of course. <laughs> Some things like Chris's apartment were in Mobile, Alabama, the rest of it was in Fair Hope, which the irony of this movie being about rich, kind of secretly sketchy, racist white people, and that being in Fair Hope. The massive real-world hilarious irony of that is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, either way, yeah, like, this movie was shot, you know, not far from where we are. But yeah, that's kind of the last two things I randomly had in my notes. So, yeah, we've basically exhausted everything that we can say about this movie. I mean, shit, this movie, like I said, has been talked to death, so I'm sure we haven't had a ton of original thoughts to begin with, but... (laughs) It was great to have this conversation. Yeah. I do enjoy when we can actually get kind of deep and uncomfortable on this show. But I think this was a great, great movie to kind of have that conversation around because there's so much happening in this movie under the surface. There's a lot more to talk about here than My Bloody Valentine, as much as I love that movie. Yeah, I'm not going to say this lightly. I think that... It's definitely earned like all the accolades it's gotten. But just for my own personal thing, like from when we started this podcast, the top movies that I like that we've covered, I constantly go back to Black Christmas, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, even though there's no like deeper meanings or anything to that movie. I just love that movie so fucking much. But honestly, Get Out is now up there like one of the best movies we have covered, period. One of the best movies I've just seen, horror or otherwise. I didn't really want to like get into that that much because there was just so much more we had to talk about with this movie. But this movie really was one of the best watches I've had of any movie I, I can think of off the top of my head, at least since we started this podcast. I, I'm excited for us to eventually do Us now because I'm wondering how I'll react to it because that one's a little more divisive, it sounds like. But it's interesting, Aaron, that you seem to like it more. Kelly, I don't know if you like it more or less than Get Out, but I really want us to cover it eventually so I can finally get my eyes on it. Just a quick final thought. This really, I guess it's just, you know, a call to follow suit, but to take chances if anything get out it's a story you know and i and i don't mean like the movie itself i just mean the tale of getting the film made you know from beginning to end who it was who came together but just like representation and an opportunity right so like if they are listening big shout out of course to like people in my eyes pioneers like jason bloom and bloomhouse who are taking these chances on these young african-american filmmakers because even though jordan peele i want to say is was older than me when he made this this was his debut film you know he hadn't made a short before this uh i've got eight shorts under my belt but it's just it's all about opportunity but just really dope that he was given the opportunity and i actually wrote a note and this is something that i really want to end on is jordan peele with this film became the first african-american writer producer and director to earn more than a hundred million in a debut film and i think what that really brings to note is it can't happen, right? Oh, 2017 was the first film that an African-American filmmaker had done in a debut film that it grossed over $100 million. It's not because there aren't African-American filmmakers and storytellers out there that don't have shit to tell. It's just that the opportunity, you know, everything's got to align, right? So I think it's just, that's the biggest thing that above the get out challenges going viral and, you know, the long place in pop culture that this film will sit. And I, I promise you, like, and y'all don't need me to tell you this, but this film is going to be talked about for years 
uh, and be seen for years. But uh, I think it's just dope what it stands for. And, you know, the bigger picture of just creating that opportunity for filmmakers and storytellers who look like me and, you know, you know, have voices and want to be heard. Hell yeah. Yeah, that pretty much is the best note to end it on. And uh, I didn't know that statistic. That's awesome. I actually didn't realize that Jordan Peele had that honor. And I love that it's from a horror movie, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. I think that's a good place to end it on. Awesome. Well, yeah, that's going to be it for this episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my cowardly coast, Derek. Once again, big thank you to our buddy Kelly for coming on this episode as always we love your insights and just little tangents that we get on because you and i are just like both so movie nut <laughs> in general that put us in a room we're not going to shut up not basically so i've always enjoyed having you on the show for that reason alone so yeah you will be back dot 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 we have some interesting plans for some upcoming episodes, so Kelly will be back for sure. But until then, you can check us out on all the podcatchers that are out there at this point, so we don't have to name them off anymore. We are available if you need us. We are on social media at Watch If You Dare on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, big thanks to my little brother Jesse Mansfield, aka Party Gator, for the music bumps, the beginning and the ends of all of our episodes. You can check out his music on Bandcamp under Opossums, Big Clown, and all the other associated acts that he has. So go check him out, get some music, and throw him a couple bucks. Speaking of music, you know, check out our Spotify music playlist that's tagged at the top of our twitter and uh facebook if you are gonna check us out please consider rating and reviewing us specifically on apple podcasts Podchaser, and yes please we've actually been showing up on a lot of the charts on good pods for like film history and film analysis which is pretty cool kelly is there anything that you want to plug is there any any of your work you want to get out there or? uh nothing at the moment i i actually am and it's funny it's a horror film i'm i guess in pre-production it's going to be a short i'm not trying to go and venture into a feature but uh, i am in the midst of writing my next short film right now which i'm very very Hell excited yeah. yeah you'll have to keep us up to date so maybe we'll have some more news on that next time you join us and this was a long one having kelly on and talking about get out this is a long one are you gonna be able to get it uh, edited on time i'm s-a motherfucking double l-y we handle shit that's what we do consider this situation fucking handled <laughs> 